Hello and welcome to The Price of Football, the show that looks at the money behind the beautiful game with me, Kevin Day, and him, Liverpool University's Kieran Maguire. And I have to say, Liverpool University's Kieran Maguire, and I say it grudgingly through gritty teeth that your team's attitude to the last seconds of a football game are very different to my team's attitude to the last seconds of a football game. Well, there's a referee's final whistle for a reason, and uh, Neil, Neil Mopé, um, not only did he score a goal in the 98th minute, he then went into full shithousery mode <laughs> and started goading the uh, Southampton fans. Um, he, yeah, he's uh, he's fantastic at that, and uh, God, God bless him, that's what I say. Yeah, although it does, of course, play into a Palace fans theory that you have referees that just just keep the game going. They'll have a chance sooner or later. Just keep playing. Brighton have to score. Whereas with us, they just keep the game playing. Palace will let a goal in eventually. Keep going. So obviously, I don't know. I don't know whether you've sorted out some kind of financial arrangement, Kieran. But there you are. Um, we have a lot of questions today, Kieran, which is good because it's questions day. Um, it helps. Some of them, some of them are quite quite technical. Quite technical. <laughs> it's, it's nerd central today. Yeah, it's it's. Uh, um, yeah, I think we should probably issue a warning. Those of you who are here for the half-assed seventies nostalgia throwbacks um, <laughs> might like might need to know that there is some actual football finance content in today's pod. Um, uh, and let's start with a question from Mark Strong, who's probably getting fed up. With me. Mark asks quite a few questions, uh, and he's probably getting fed up with me going. Uh, probably not the actor. Um, anyway, Mark Strong, and then other people are going. Hang on a second. Mark's had three questions in two years. I've had none. Um, but Mark's question is, and this is again, I love these questions because they're simple questions that we've probably all thought of at some time. Do England players, asked Mark Strong, do England players have any form of central contract like they do in cricket? And are they paid bonuses for things like clean sheets or goals? Well, they don't have a central contract uh, as is the position with the, the, the ECB in cricket because that takes priority over a uh, player's contract with his county and it means that should there be a clash of fixtures the the England fixture always always takes precedence now that simply wouldn't work in football you know, there's no way that the, the big clubs would accede to that and and also we we wouldn't be happy with it as fans so first of all there isn't a there isn't a clash in terms of uh you know England and Manchester United and Liverpool and Palace and so on all playing at the same time um but there's no there's no such central contract. A central contract, you are given a central contract in cricket for a 12-month period. That gives you a guaranteed sum of income plus bonuses on top. Um, whereas with England, it's you will um you will you will get a match fee if you are picked up uh, by if, if you're chosen by Gareth Southgate um and, and then 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 chosen to pick play, chosen to play for the team. The England players, uh, and again give them credit for this they they all waive their match fees and give them to charity but they still but they do get um uh, they do get some form of bonuses when they play in competitions uh, in terms of progress so qualifying for the world cup making progress within the world cup uh, at the finals that that those are those are separate bonuses uh, i don't think they get them for clean sheets or goals um because if you if you take a look at some of england's uh, recent fixtures. Um, I think it could have cost the FA an awful lot of money, um, especially the England women's team, who who, mm-hmm. who, who mm-hmm. got an amazing twenty goals against Latvia, fantastic uh, performance. Uh, and, and and I've got tickets to see them in the uh, uh, in the finals next uh, next summer, and, and I'm really looking forward to that. Well, in fact, this summer, no, next summer, next summer, we're still in 2021. We are still in 2020. Uh, even I can do that basic accounting, Kieran. Uh, unless, unless, of course, you're seasonally adjusting, in which case we could well be into next year by now already. Um, our next question comes from Matthew Wilcox. And there's a little plot twist at the end of this question, which I did not see coming, I have to say. Um, uh, Matthew says, when talking about player sales in relation to when and how cash is exchanged, I wondered if clubs could use... <laughs> I think Finley's claws may need cutting, Kieran, unless, yes. he's, unless he's tap dancing on sandpaper, is he? <laughs> when talking about player sales in relation to when and how cash is exchanged, I wondered, says Matthew Wilcox, if clubs could use this to help FFP, financial fair play, 
a general rule of finance is that getting cash now is worth more than getting cash at a later date as it devalues with time. FFP works on the accountancy principles on when to recognise revenue, i.e. not when the cash is exchanged, but when the contract obligation is performed. So could clubs agree to pay fees at a much later date to benefit the selling club in terms of FFP? I also have the great pleasure of working at a well-known vacuum manufacturer with Kieran's sister. (laughs) Which, which if that's not a euphemism, I really... I'll drop off the. I'll drop off a couple of Kieran sisters outside the Hoover factory. All right. Um, I, I I didn't even. I, I knew you had a sister, Kieran. I did not know she worked for worked for Henry. Does she work for Henry? Uh, she she works for James. Or is it, is it Sir James? Oh, does she? Sir yes. James. Oh, okay. Sir, yeah, well, every year. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, right. Uh, in terms of Matthews, has she, uh, has she mentioned? Matthew, has she ever mentioned Matthew Wilcox? I, I believe she has. Actually. Oh, has she? Uh, has she uh, yeah, right, she says. There's this bloke that keeps emailing me when I'm trying to sort out issues to do with, uh, you know, not non-working motors in vacuum cleaners, and all he keeps asking me about is fucking amortisation. <laughs> how am I supposed to know about that? I'm working with this real nerdy bloke. Says he listens to your podcast. I didn't know you had a podcast. <laughs> yeah. I suspect. So, well, if um, if your sister gets a spreadsheet as a secret Santa, we'll know that Matthew's uh, behind it. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. Um, to to go back to um matthew's question there is an element of uh adjustment um because when you sell a player the uh the value of the sale is based on uh is based on what we call the time value of money so therefore if let's say you sell a player for 30 million pounds but you get three installments of 10 you would say well that's not worth 30 million pounds today it's only worth 28 so what you would do is you would say that the sale price is 28 and your FFP would be based on the 28. And then over the next three years, you would show the additional £2 million as interest income. So very technical, oh, right, very right. nerdy. Um, you you can uh, use it to uh, adjust for FFP, but uh, I think clubs are actually probably more interested in getting the cash as quickly as they can because they've still got other bills to pay. And, of course, when you sell a player, and uh, you know, if you sell a player for 50 million quid, what do the fans do? They, they start screaming, we've got 50 million quid, and they start yeah, having a yeah, go at yeah. the club owner for not spending yeah. it straight away. So um, you, you're damned if you do, and you are damned if you do. You say technical and nerdy, and sometimes, Kieran, you use that as a uh, to cover up uh, certain things, but technical and nerdy in this case, but absolutely standard practice. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, nothing, right. nothing wrong with it. it happens in all industries, right. um, and is uh, very much in in sort of the accounting statute. Uh, <clears throat> our next question comes from Jimmy Atkinson. Uh, I like I like any James who calls himself Jimmy. I'm always I'm always in t- inclined. If, if Jimmy Dyson was Jimmy Dyson, I'd be more inclined to overlook his reactionary politics. But Jimmy Atkinson says, again, on FFP, what effect do share issues have on FFP? And on top of that, what effect does it have on FFP when loans are converted to shares? Um, Which even I think is an interesting question, Kieran, I don't understand it. Right. Okay. Uh, Let's separate out those two elements. In terms of FFP, under the Premier League rules, you are allowed to lose... £15 million over three years. However, if the club issues shares to investors stroke owners, you can increase that. The first first £90 million of share issues does count towards FFP. So this is to encourage clubs to have a have a stronger balance sheet to to have stronger funds coming into the club um and also in theory that if you've got a new owner who is genuine and wants to make the club more competitive um then this is the preferred route so um in the premier league uh, it's it's the first 90 million pounds in the EFL championship it's the first 24 million pounds and in uh UEFA competition it's the first 25 million euro. And I think we we discussed this. I think it was, was it a week ago when we were talking about Wolves and that Wolves yeah. satisfy yeah. the Premier League rules because their owners can put up up to 90 million pounds in, but they failed the UEFA rules because that limit is much lower at 25 million euro. So it does cause 
um, uh, a bit a bit of an issue. In terms of um, debt to equity swaps, to give them their technical name, um, those are allowed. Those those would count as share issues. Um, the advantage of that is that um, a debt must be repaid at some point in time. So if if a club uh, if an investor puts money into a club via loans, then at some point in time, the uh, those loans will have to be repaid. Now, quite a few owners are take a take a pretty relaxed approach um, to to those loan repayments. If, if, you, if you look at uh, Abramovich at Chelsea, if you look at Tony Bloom at Brighton, um, you know there's no indication that they're ever going to ask for the money back. And to be honest. Which is just—it's just as well because I can't see a position where the clubs would be in a position to do that. But mm. yet there are technical reasons, there are taxation reasons for perhaps having those. Um, once they become shares, the great thing about shares is that a share is never repaid by the club. So it's—it's—it reduces the amount of debt, it reduces the amount of liabilities, it reduces the amount of financial stress that a company. Um, would have so yeah we, we have seen this with quite a few clubs I know Rangers uh, they've they've tra- uh, transferred some of their sh- uh, loans into shares from the owners not all of them uh, but just some uh, you know, and you do see this at quite a few clubs where the owners initially put the money in as as borrowings and then say we, we we've taken advice and we and we now think the club will be better off with them as shares the owner can then sell those shares to somebody else so you know, that's that's the that's the other issue. Um, whereas it's 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 not not as easy potentially as selling the debt. So that's interesting. So you say a share is not repaid, but then if I had shares in in a football club, could I ask the club to buy them back? Could I offer them back to the club? Um, if if under the club constitution they are they are a particular classification of share, then yes. What you would normally have to do um, is, again, it it varies from club to club, but you'd have to take a look at the small print of the club's constitution. Um, There's something called preemption rights that if you do want uh, to to sell the shares, normally you'd have to offer them to the other shareholders first. And then if none of them wanted them, you could go and sell them to it to somebody else. But the club would never be under any obligation to to buy them back unless there was a, a particular clause um, in, in the constitution. Yeah, I think there are potential occasions on which I, I might buy shares. Every now and again, we get some money in being freelance and I, I might spend that on shares. There's no occasion on which I would need small print. <laughs> one of the reasons Ali gets so cross. Why have you bought these shares? I just we had some money, and I thought I bought some shares in a football club. Did you read the small print? Of course I didn't. And you, you weren't here to read it for me. I just spent the money. <laughs> now my next question, Kieran. My next question. That's terrible. Our next question. Um, it comes from Jude McCarthy, and it gave me some cause for optimism, Kieran, because it's about cool. the Euros, and it's about the Euros, and it, so I, I thought, well, maybe our maybe our waiting list for questions is, is getting a bit shorter because the Euros happened in, in June of yes. this year. We've established it's this year, but I'm now slightly worried it might be about the 2016 Euros. So um, anyway, Jude McCarthy's question is, during the Euros, Jude says he saw a stat which showed the total group stage mileage for each country involved in the competition because there's a lot of travel with the competition format this time. Switzerland travelled the furthest with 7,740 miles and the Netherlands the least with 120 miles. This got me wondering, says Jude, about the travel and training base expenses and who pays. Do countries pay all, some, none? And then I wondered whether UEFA might pay all, some or none. Well, uh, both, both UEFA and FIFA do have a travel budget um and we know the fee for execs will have a travel budget <laughs> here. absolutely yeah yes the uh the fifa the fifa travel budget is 61 million dollars per, to- per, to- per tournament or, or per, per year this is, really this, this is yeah <laughs> that's that's a lot of air miles that's a lot of first class air miles isn't it Jeez, <laughs> exactly really. Um, so what what will happen is that FIFA will say to um, an individual football association, um, this is what you're allowed in terms. Of, so we, we will pay for we will pay normally uh, so much for, for travel costs, um, 
and we will give you a budget for accommodation. Now, if the Football Association wants to go above that budget, they, they will pay the excess. Um, so there will be a set budget per per club which is participating, um, and that that's the way it's organised. So this is, this is to ensure that those countries, um, such as Switzerland, who um, did end up travelling far more, yet that they are not financially disadvantaged. Um, so it, it's the, the aim of uh, both FIFA and UEFA is to be as fair uh, as they can be to, to individual countries. Okay. Our next question comes from Joe Galley. Uh, it's an interesting one, Kieran. Joe says, I have a question about, in inverted commas, owners of football clubs. Last year, there were rumours of the NFL forcing Dan Snyder, the owner of the Washington football team, to sell the franchise. Under Section 8.13 of the NFL's constitution, the commissioner can determine if an owner or any other official has been or is guilty of conduct detrimental to the league or sport. Has Finley learned how to use the printer? Well, I, th- I think I think we've got a poltergeist in the house because the Baroness has gone out. She's gone on a wreath making course. Mm. Um, <laughs> not, that we're, not, not, that we're, not that we're Sussex at all. Yeah, yeah. Go on. <laughs> um, and I'm sat here by myself, so I think yeah, it's, it's either Finley or a poltergeist. Wow, <laughs> he's a very talented dog. Yeah, Finley's a very talented dog, but see if he can change the ink. That will test how talented he is. Uh, anyway, Joe Galley says, let's recap. Under Section 8.13 of the NFL's Constitution, the commissioner can determine if an owner or any other official has been or is guilty of conduct detrimental to legal sport. In extreme cases, the commissioner can push for a vote on whether to force the owner to sell. Could something like this work in England to prevent the right to... <laughs> Why we've not had a bathroom, I don't know. It <laughs> turns out England's his safe word, is it? <laughs> yes. Who's, who's set him off like that? Oh, one of the neighbours has popped round. All right. He's, he's he, he, <laughs> Finley sounds conflicted. He's, he's angry and then he's, oh dear. Anyway, um, so I apologise about this, Joe. Your, your question seems to have caused some sort of spiritual activity and psychic energy to kick off down in Sussex. Um a reef. <laughs> anyway, could could something like this in England prevent the likes of Steve Dale at Berry, Chan Siri at Sheffield Wednesday, or Mel Morris at Derby staying in charge? Um, no, because uh, we have we have the precedence of uh, company law in the UK. So, if a person wants to be a uh, a controlling shareholder, i.e., they own more than fifty percent of an individual company. Um, that that would allow them to buy the football club. Now, in order to acquire what's referred to as the golden share, and the golden share is the the the, the football the, the EFL, for example, has seventy two golden shares, uh, which one of which is owned by each club. In order for a football club to own one of these golden shares, um, then the owners of the club itself must pass the owners and directors test. As, as we've established before, that owners and directors test uh, focuses on, on two issues. First of all, does a new owner, not an existing owner, but if an existing owner uh, goes in the clink, uh, I don't think that's an issue. But if the, if the prospective owner has an unspent conviction, i.e. they have any of a tariff left on a conviction, that can be a preventative issue. And secondly, they've got to be able to provide proof of funds. So if we go back to the um, it, go back to the Steve Dale uh, position at Berry Football Club, he had no unspent convictions, but he was unable, stroke unwilling, to provide the EFL with proof of funds. And that's why um, they ended up being expelled from the EFL and subsequently went into administration and mm. everybody losing their jobs and so on. I think, think the, the problem with this is the test goes as far as it can, um, but you know, it, it's, it, it's, it's a technical, it's, it's a box-ticking exercise to a certain extent. Um, it has no element of foresight. It can't look into mm. the eyes of a prospective owner who in theory ticks all the boxes uh, but in practice, does something as we saw with 
uh, Al Young, uh, the mm. the Wigan owner who, <coughs> who yeah. did have the money, didn't have any unspent convictions, and then three weeks later put the club into administration. I'm going to say this out loud just to, to see whether producer guy is listing this week. Uh, I, I always liked the, the golden share. Uh, sounds the way posh people would pronounce golden shower. Uh, uh, I'm just seeing whether so if that's kept in everybody you know that producer guy's given up listening or he's a bit scared of dogs which I suspect well yeah but remember the producer guy golden shower is probably what he's got in his bathroom so he probably thinks nothing of it very good point (laughs) yeah it caused the mini social network uh uh, eruption, didn't it? The photograph of, of a guy that appeared, yes. Uh, yes. looking looking bizarrely. The way the colour was, the red face, he looked bizarrely like a young Father Christmas, which couldn't be further <laughs> couldn't be further from the truth. And somebody That's, said they thought you were Alan Carr's dad. Yeah, I know. I thought that was very funny. I was, I'm looking. I've actually met Alan Carr's dad, and looking at the photograph, I could see, I could see exactly what I think it's the glasses. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, now, George Rowland, let's let's compose ourselves, Kieran, because his next question has no levity in it at all, and it's a, about a football team I know quite well. It's just down the road uh, from me. Uh, George Rowland says, Earlier this year, I read about the sad case of Whiteleaf FC, who were forced to withdraw from the Isthmian League due to the new ground owners refusing a lease licence to pay the, play there. The article mentioned the new owners of the ground acquired it at auction after Whiteleaf went into administration and are Singaporean property dealers. Worse still, it suggests that Irama, the new owners, are hoovering up distressed non-league clubs, presumably those with their own grounds. My question is, what, if anything, uh, could be done by anybody to help distressed clubs survive rather than be picked off by capitalists with an eye to non-football-related development? And what does Kieran know about Irama? Well, what could be done is that we could have an independent regulator of football <laughs> who is given uh, along with uh, you know is given some powers by parliament to to provide a, a form of protection for all football grounds yeah that would be one one option but mm-hmm. that's me with my maoist theories uh, I, I, coming I through yet yeah. again <laughs> um so yeah the, the, this is this is really sad for for whiteleaf uh, this this company called irama um, it uses Ian Rush's name, although it says Ian Rush is not involved in the decision making. Right. This is always this is always an issue. You know, if uh, if you are offered the opportunity to to promote to a particular organisation, um, then if you don't do any due diligence, um, you you can end up guilty by association, as is the case of uh, Ian Rush here. Um, this, this country, Irama, if, if you go onto their website, their website has not been updated since June 2021. Um, one of the one of the boxes which you can tick on, which you can try to go through is to say, use our grounds. Oh, is, you, you can hire their football grounds. You click on that and it's it's a dead link. So uh-huh. um, there's there's a very um, there's a very indignant um, blog post or, or post by Irama on their website. <clears throat> Um, which says that uh, that Whiteleaf's uh, assertions are incorrect. Um, And it then goes on to talk about Abingdon FC, which is another club which has had to resign its position from its local league following the ground being uh, acquired by Irama, um, which happened at exactly the same time. And according to Irama, this is because lightning can strike twice. Now, it... Yeah, oh, yeah, that, yeah, yeah. It, it, so yeah. it's in the amazing coincidence category of we've happened to acquire two football uh, grounds uh, which which have been rented by football clubs, um, and uh, we we've we've set such a level of rent that they can't afford to play there. Such mm. a shame. These things happen, um, and, and now has gone completely quiet. So uh, yeah, it, it's it's very sad, George. I mean, you know, it's it's not far away from you, Kevin, as, as we both know, um, and. I think it it backs up the view held by by many football fans that football grounds are part of history, heritage, culture mm. of this country going back to the you know to the Victorian era, and um, therefore they deserve some form of Grade Two listed status or some form mm. of protection. Or if you are going to take over somebody's ground, then you've got to find them an alternative mm. um, as, as a prospective owner. I suppose also it's a, an amazing coincidence that both grounds are in uh, highly desirable residential areas where property would fetch a huge amount of money. 
that's that's a spectacular coincidence. Yes, it is. It, 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 it's 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 you know it's a shame, Kieran. We talk about clubs that I've I've never been to, and I, it breaks my heart when I hear these things. But Whiteleaf and Palace have got historical links. You know, Steve Kemba, for example, we played quite a lot of friendlies there. And it, as I say, it's just that so when you know people that support the club and when you know the ground, it just it just breaks your heart even more. And it's and it's like you say, those people, and there are many critics of the, the Tracy Crouch's fan led review don't seem to realise some of the dots they're not joining up here. You know, people people who criticise that fan-led review will also be furious about what happened to Whiteleaf, and it doesn't seem to occur to them that one of those things could prevent the other, um, Yeah, uh, which is something we will hopefully talk to Tracy about when she's a guest on the show in a week or so. Yeah, I'm uh, seeing it, her I'm seeing her on Wednesday, so I will excellent. badger her. Yeah, don't don't badger her, Kieran. She's she's got enough. She's been badgered enough by people like <laughs> Steve Parrish, <laughs> uh, much as I love him. Uh, Patrick Hoey says, when clubs sign a player, what is the percentage that is liable for tax, as in PAYE? Also, if a club was paying instalments regarding the transfer, how does that work with tax? Right. Um, as far as a transfer fee is concerned, uh, the whole amount of the fee is liable to VAT immediately. Um, So this actually can be quite an issue because if you are paying in installments, let's say that if if you sell a player for 50 million quid um, and you've got to charge 20% VAT on that, then then you've got to pay 20% of 50 million is 10 million. Mm. You've got to pay 10 million pounds to the VAT authorities at the time of your next VAT return, which is going to be at the most three months away. now, if if you're if you are being paid in instalments, it could be that you're you're paid in you know five instalments of ten million pounds. Your first year's fee immediately goes straight to the government in in yeah. the form of of that yeah, back payment, yeah, yeah. and you've got nothing. So so th- there is that as an issue um, in terms of paye and national insurance. The club wouldn't pay anything because they are buying the player's registration certificate. So that's nothing to do with employment law, but um, it would go into their annual uh, tax calculation, um, and it, and therefore they could end up uh, end up paying tax on that. You would normally pay tax nine months and one day following your corporate year end. Um, but you you can offset your your day to day losses. Um, I, I used to teach tax, in, and in fact, um, uh, I, I I actually developed a dance for corporation tax losses, Kevin. And uh, yeah, it, I, I was amazed there were not a queue of young ladies uh, at the end of each time I taught that to uh, to want to, uh, to, to, to just queuing up to, to be amazed by me. But but for some reason there wasn't. So so I'm like yes, I, I did have a corporate tax losses dance. Uh, which involves sideways offsets, backwards offsets, forward offsets, and so on. And, and, if, and if you learnt it as a dance step, it, w- it, it was perfect. The only trouble was it, it probably didn't work particularly well in exams. Um, but then we come to the um, players themselves. Now, if they get a signing-on fee, uh, which they're entitled to when a transfer goes place, they will become an employee of that club on that date and therefore that will be included effectively in their first their first month's pay packet and they will pay PAYE and national insurance on that. This episode of The Price of Football is brought to you by the AI-powered workspace Notion. What if you had access to tomorrow's tools today? In Notion, you do. It's the AI-powered workspace where any team can turn ideas into action. My career is sort of a bit like being a butterfly, and I'm always jumping from project to project. So therefore, Notion helps me from summarising meetings notes and automatically generating action items to getting answers to any question in seconds. If you can think it, you can make it. And Notion is for everyone, whether you're a Fortune 500 company or a freelance football finance lecturer. You can try Notion for free when you go to notion.com slash price of football. That's all lowercase letters, notion.com slash price of football and start turning ideas into action. That's notion.com slash price of football. 
Hi, I'm Steve Lamack, and every week I'm joined by Music Allies Head of Insight, Stuart Dredge, on The Price of Music, the weekly podcast all about the money behind the music industry. In each episode, we discuss the very latest goings-on in the music business and dig into the finances behind the big stories. So whether you're a music lover who just wants to know more about what really goes on in the industry, or you're an aspiring musician, manager or label owner who wants some inside knowledge on how Spotify's financial model really works, or what the future holds for independent live music venues, this is a show for you. Subscribe to The Price of Music in your podcast app now. See you soon. So I went. I went a bit quiet two thirds of the way through that answer, Kieran. Um, that's because I'm. I, I quite often I have a piece of paper in front of me, uh, and every now and again I will pick out a keyword from your answer uh, with a question mark, uh, and then I'll. It reminds me to 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 ask you the question or to query what you've just said. Uh, I went quiet as I was counting how many question marks I'd actually put after the words "taught a dance step." Uh, uh, Nineteen question marks. Right. Because then I went quiet. I'm thinking, did Kieran didn't say? Because of course, there's an issue with the pronunciation, Kieran. There, because you know, dance, dance. Um, and then I thought, my mind's processing it, going, he can't have said he taught a dance step uh, to explain core. But but it's, it seems that you. Oh, this is this pod's turning into a really poltergeist, angry dogs, and now dancing accountants. It's it's like some kind of League of Gentlemen live show. <laughs> Going on here, bring on the angry dog. No, the dancing accountant hasn't finished yet. What? What do you mean you taught a dance step to explain it? Well, because students would have to go and deal with it in exams, trying to remember the rules is actually quite difficult. So, therefore, if you learn it as a dance routine, um, it's 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 far more memorable. Right. Okay. And also, the examiners know who's been taught by Kieran Maguire, then, don't they? <laughs> That's right. Yes. For some reason, after an hour and a quarter, thirty people in an exam room all stood up, waved their arms to their side, went, went three steps backwards, four, four, four steps forwards, and, and then then did a jazz hands routine. Uh, yes. There's, and there's somebody listening to this, and they know who they are. The last time we talked about VAT, and I said I couldn't understand the point of it. So it's just like that Laurel and Harley thing, you gave it to me to give to him, to give to her. To uh, yes. This person uh, uh, approached me in the next home game in the pub to try and explain what a good thing VAT <laughs> no. was, which is 40 minutes of my life I'll never get back. So please, Tim, if you're listening, I, 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 I'll never will understand it. Don't, don't do it again. He's a big chap as well. I couldn't get around him. Um, Aaron Dodsworth has asked a question that I think – you probably rubbed your hands together with glee. <laughs> Possibly even invented a new dance step for. I don't know, Kieran. It's, I just, I just love the idea of you approaching a nineteen fifties dance hall and a young Kieran Maguire approaching a lady, saying, Can, "Would you like to do the corporation offset dance?" <laughs> um, Aaron Dodsworth says, "Is there anything?" Open brackets, apart from maybe IR35 complications, close brackets. Nothing keeps me awake at night more than those IRA, IRA, more than those IR35. That's the subconscious. That's the, um, those IR35 complications. Oh, they, they, they run through my dreams at night. Uh, But is there anything apart from those IR35 complications stopping a club from setting up and hiring an external football management consulting firm, which the club's owner also owns. The firm, not the club, would actually hold the managers and his staff contracts and then charge a rate for their services rather than being directly employed by the club. Could they charge the club a more favourable rate for their services to reduce the cost directly to the club FFP? Or in the case of a multi-club organisation such as the City Group, could they theoretically spread the cost across all clubs claiming that they helped all clubs is this is this similar Kieran to the controversy about um, the BBC for example paying uh, talents production companies yeah. rather than the individuals is this a, is this a similar as a way around tax um yes yes so um, we have seen a couple of examples of this if, if we take a look at uh, Mancini at uh, at Manchester City, there were claims that he uh, he was paid X pounds uh, for his salary as manager of Manchester City, and he was being given money via a 
parallel company. Right. Um, and then, of course, we get our favourite story of all time, the Tom Ince story. Of course. Where his, uh, his mother was being paid £700,000 as a youth development scout, um, <laughs> where... Uh, it, it, which which came as a surprise to uh, I, th- I think to her and to uh, and to any youth youth players in, in the Derbyshire area um, and, and to every single listener of our pod at the time, Kieran. <laughs> yes, um, uh, yeah. I mean, I, I've always said that this is if 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 I, if I was being creative, and of course I'm not. Um, parallel contracts would certainly be one area I would consider looking at it in more depth, whereby um, a player. Let, 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 let's take the let's take the example of say Neymar. Uh, PSG are owned by uh, Qatari organization, and uh, let's say that he signs a, a deal at the same time as he signed his contract for, to play football to be an ambassador for the twenty twenty two World Cup. Um, and he was asking for you know, thirty million pounds a year. His contract says he gets ten million a year, and he also earns twenty million pounds a year from um, this this parallel contract. Now that that doesn't take place. I'm just giving an example. So if any lawyers listening, I'm just using it as a as a potential example. Um, so th- this is a way of circumventing uh, the costs for FFP purposes, and certainly in terms of multi club organisations. Yes, that there are ways of, of spreading costs around, especially if if uh, if, if you've got uh, loan agreements between two or more clubs in a uh, multi-club organisation, because you you could you could increase the loan fees from one club to another uh, to make sure that they were parked in in the club that was uh, closest to breaching FFP to ensure that that didn't take place. So all of that is uh, an issue. The the IR thirty five doesn't really come into it because the footballer can still be deemed to be an employee of more than one one organisation. I mean, I, I, I actually uh, once ran a nightclub. I won't say where it was, um, where the uh, where the lender had given a large amount of money to uh, a a new uh, licensee, and things didn't work. Things yeah didn't work out particularly well. Sales didn't go up, uh, and they'd given half a million pounds for for refurbishments of this nightclub, and and then then they pointed us. So I went in as the the administrator. Uh, took a look around and thought, there's, there's not been a lot of money spent on refurbishments here. Um, and it then turns out that the um, that the licensee's boyfriend was a uh, a member of a provisional organisation based in uh, based in Ireland, and uh, did a bit of following through. You know, you know it's always you, you follow the cash, and uh, I think the uh, the money was not spent on um, uh, was not spent on paint and decorating. It was spent on uh, other issues, send them on that, and, and that resulted in me absolutely crapping myself uh, and, oh, and going uh, out to my car each morning and sticking a sticking sticking a, a a mirror under 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 the. Uh, so so yeah, the, the world the world of administrators isn't isn't always uh, isn't always a barrel of laughs. I, I don't think any of us considered it was a barrel of laughs, Kieran. To be perfectly honest, I don't think any of us been in the pub going. Do you know what? I'd love to be. Uh, I'd love to be an administrator. That looks like a fun job. That looks like it's could be could be a real. You probably pick up a few a few office bits and pieces that no one wants. Um, yeah, following through is probably the the worst thing you could have done at the time, Kieran. Uh, yes. That, that, <laughs> yes. I would, I, if I found out that somebody's boyfriend was a member of a paramilitary organisation, I'd probably followed through as well. Um, <laughs> and you talk about lawyers listening. Any lawyers listening to this pod, Kieran, would have given up long ago. They would have gone after the dog or the poltergeist yes. <laughs> or the, the accountancy dance. In fact, someone once actually, this is a true story, Gary. I don't know if I've shared this with you. Somebody sidled up to me in a pub once and said, did we do the first half of the pod as a distraction deliberately so that any lawyers listening on behalf of their clients <laughs> disappeared before we started saying things that were potentially libelous? I don't know. We're not, we're not working on levels like that, essentially. Um now Wayne Harris asked a question which we have we have sort of dealt with before, but it's one of those questions that football fans it's nearly always a second or third question that football fans ask. So I'm happy to to clarify it again because it's it's something that fans seem to be fascinated by. And um, Wayne says, How do players' wages work when a player is loaned to another club when the loaning club is picking up some or all of the wages? Does the parent club continue to pay the player as normal? 
and the loaning club reimburse them? Or does the loaning club pay their share and the parent club top up the wages separately? So when Sheffield Wednesday were not paying players on time, would any loan players have been okay as the parent clubs were paying them anyway? Right, yeah, excellent question, Wayne. Uh, his his first, first answer is correct because the, the football player has a contract of employment with his parent club, so therefore mm. they have an obligation to pay him his wages on a month-by-month basis. Um, so uh, should the, the the tenant club, for want of a better phrase, mm. uh, should the club for which he has now gone on loan fail to pay their players on time, that's an irrelevance because you know if, if, I'm, if I've been loaned from, let's say, Chelsea to Sheffield Wednesday, my contract of employment with Chelsea, um, and, and therefore I, I would get my wages on time. Um, he could have a separate uh, a separate deal with the club to which he's gone, which would involve appearance bonuses, goal bonuses, and so on. But that so he could miss out on on those payments, but not his core wage, not his not his sort of nine to five wage, as it were. So Conor Gallagher at Palace. When, so when all those Palace fans, um, many of whom listen to the pod, say, "Oh, you know, it, it's a it's a bargain. All we're doing is paying his wages," we're not we're not actually doing that. No, what you are doing instead is that there will be a loan fee from um, from Chelsea. So they will charge you know two million, three million pounds right. as a loan fee for the season, and on top of that, Crystal Palace are obliged to pay. X percent of his wages. Now, what we do see in some deals is that that will be on a sliding scale. Right. So, if Conor Gallagher <laughs> pay, plays every game, it, Chelsea are really keen for their players to to get exposure. Mm. So, it could be that if uh, if he if he plays on average seventy five minutes in a match, then that works out is that Chelsea will pay fifty six percent of his wages. If it's incentivized to make the the tenant club play, if if a player goes on loan and he's not playing in the first team, then the the parent club will say, "Well, we'll only play twenty percent of his wages because you know, the reason for this loan deal is for our employee to get exposure to playing football at a high level, and you're not you're not keeping your side of the bargain, which could be due to loss of form, the manager doesn't like him, whatever, um, and therefore you know, the, the, the the host club or the parent club tries to incentivize through these deals. Mm. Uh, trust me, Conor Gallagher will be playing most oh, of the, yeah. most, of the 90, most of the ninety minutes in most games. Trouble is, at the moment, most of our games are lasting ninety six minutes. Nothing it's, wrong with that, Kevin. Nothing wrong I know. with that. The, the first ninety minutes, we're we're fine for the first ninety minutes. It's that second six minutes at the end that's causing all the problems. Uh, our penultimate question comes from Nandigosh Karan Nanda. Uh, I hope I've done your name justice there, uh, Nandigosh. Nandigosh says, I am Nandigosh from India, and I've been listening to the podcast since February 2020. Thank you for that, Nandigosh. The podcast has helped me a lot in terms of passing the time, <laughs> learning a lot of new things about the game I love, and most importantly, going through the lockdown. Um, the first bit, when he said, oh, it's helped me pass the time. I was like, oh, really? But then I like the second two bits, so thank you for that. I'm glad you've learned a lot about it the game you love, and I'm really glad we helped you through the lockdown, Nandy Gosh. And Nandy Gosh has a question. When Cristiano Ronaldo removed the two Coca-Cola bottles from the press conference table during the Euros, and then Paul Pogba removed a Heineken bottle, would those sponsors have been entitled to any compensation from UEFA? And could UEFA do anything to stop the players from doing stuff like that? Um, that I don't, they would not be entitled to compensation, because the players do not sign contracts with uh, the individual sponsors. That those sponsorship deals are, bet- are between UEFA and FIFA. Um, you know, as part of the deal, um, UEFA and FIFA will agree to put a can or bottle of, of the product uh, at press conferences, um, but the players are entitled to either A, drink it, or B, you know, lob it a journalist, preferably Rob Little, um, <laughs> Or, or just put it to one side. Uh, you know, um, um, Paul Pogba, um, Paul Pogba, because of his religious uh, beliefs, isn't in favour of alcohol. Mm. Cristiano Ronaldo isn't, in, you know, for, for uh, who, uh, regardless of what people think of him, is a magnificent athlete whose devotion to his fitness regime is is second to none. You know, he he doesn't want to be associated with a carbonated product at this side mm. at this stage of his career, and and therefore would prefer water. Um, and also, of course. 
those both those organisations gained so much publicity from the incidents that they're probably rubbing their hands together with glee. So there, there's no, um, I think uh, FIFA and UEFA would put some soft pressure on the clubs to say, look, look, we've got these deals, they're worth a fortune. You you get a share of those deals indirectly from our payouts. Any chance you could just ask the players to do nothing? But but they they would they wouldn't be able to sanction the players in in uh, or, or go any further. I I did three memorable gigs in India a few years back, fantastic nights, uh, and they they asked me to to do some topical stuff uh, about India, which is great. But also, I just had to keep mentioning the sponsors every now and again. Uh, so I said, "What? Well, like you want me to do material about them?" And I went, "No, no, no. If you could just mention them." So, I just, sort of ten minutes in, I just found myself going, "Oh, do you know what? I'd love a refreshing bottle of Cobra beer right about now." <laughs> and it was great, and then and then, but then even more bizarrely, twenty minutes later, I'd say, "Oh God, I could, I'd, I'd kill for a kingfisher." Like people were worried about my my mental health and my alcohol intake. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm desperate to go to India. Desperate oh, to go there. Amazing I'm, country. What I've seen. You, you, you speak highly of it. I've got other friends. Yeah, I, it's, I, it's one of those things. I wish I, I wish I'd spent more time there because we, we were in Mumbai. But also we were so looked after, which was brilliant. But they, they kind of they didn't really want us to explore. But you know, they just wanted to show they wanted to show us the very best of India, which there's a lot to see the very best of. Yeah. But it, it's just the most remarkable sensory overload you can imagine, and the nicest people you could meet. It was fan, it was fantastic. And and also, which is brilliant, and my dad thoroughly approved of this, is that everyone dressed up in uh, evening wear. For the gigs, it was it was absolutely oh, wow. fantastic. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Perhaps Nandy Gosh could, you know, when, when when the price of football live tour starts, perhaps Nandy Gosh might have oh, a have a word with the promoter in in Mumbai and absolutely. Oh, let's do it, Nandy Gosh. That'd be fantastic. Brilliant. Um, and that's not the only reason we asked that question, by the way. That's that's a really good question. It's not the only reason yes. we asked it. Uh, our last question. <laughs> I'm chuckling already about that. So I, yes. I take exception to the word rant in this question. But, yeah, Chris Saunders says, after your rant a few weeks back about rugby balls not being balls, they're not. They're not round. I wondered what your stance is on the football shown on UK road signs as they have an impossible ball shape. The, the road sign balls only have hexagons, but you need hexagons and pentagons in order to make a ball. Now, I, I suspect, and I, I, I phoned Ali up, she's working at Panto in Oxford, I phoned Ali up last night to tell about this question, uh, and she pointed out that Chris Saunders probably thinks, I don't have a view on the footballs on the UK road signs. Um, you'd be amazed to hear I do. <laughs> <laughs> As, which, which is why Ali chuckled when I told her, I've got, I've got very firm views. The football on road signs were designed by somebody who's never seen a football. I've been to a football game. I know it's. I know it's just an impression. I, I know you don't want accuracy, and in terms of scale, but yeah, I'm. I'm a Ginnam. I really firmly think they need to be. I, I didn't know you, could, you needed hexagons and pentagons in order to make a ball. Well, if, if you remember those those old balls we used to have, that they were a combination of those. No, on the outside, but on the outside, not, yeah, yeah. That's not. That's not what made them round, is it? Well, that, it was it was the Don't overall just... combination of them, but I, I've, I've got to take issue with you here, Kevin, because I, I went to the Oxford English Dictionary for the definition uh-huh. of a ball, which is noun: a solid or hollow, spherical or egg-shaped object that is kicked, thrown, or hit in a game. Well, of course, the Oxford English Dictionary would say that it's in Oxford. <laughs> it's, it's, they're all they're all middle class people who play rugby. And, and, and Kieran, how long have you known me? Whose view am I likely to believe more about what a word means, mine or the Oxford English Dictionaries? It's also a verb, which I, I didn't know. I didn't know to ball was a word. To ball, verb, but, well, it's, yes. it's, and also it's what you have when you're doing your accountancy dance. <laughs> yes, that's right. Kieran having a ball. But the hexagons and pentagons. I say I'm making a rod from my own back here now. Because some kind of physicist or chemist or whatever hex oh maths isn't it hexagons and pentagons, somebody would explain why you need hexagons and pentagons to make. But it's not you could have squares on it, and then if you if you made them into a curve, it's not the squares making the ball round. It's just being round that makes it. Um, science is not my strong point. <laughs> <laughs> somebody send a question about it, literature or history or archaeology, and I'll give that a proper answer. But 
there's, I'll just go, I can't wait to tell Ali, who's in Oxford, I, I should say, you go down to the Oxford English Dictionary and knock on the door and tell them they've got the definition of ball wrong. You can't have an egg-shaped ball. It's around. It's, you can't it's, it's like playing table tennis with an egg-shaped ball. It's uh, <laughs> Ali, which is, that's, her eyebrows would just go up. So terrible news, Ali. The Oxford English Dictionary have got a word wrong. Um, thank you to everyone uh, who's still listening. Uh, who's made a donation to the pod via our Patreon site, including Mark Cole, Henry Cheese, uh, which is up there in my top 10 favourite names of the year, I have to say. Henry Cheese is a name I would gladly call myself. Jonas Backstrom, Chris Hegg, Adam Ejo, Matt Duckworth and Claire Malanathy. Um, thank you all for your donations to the pod. If you'd like to join them by making a small monthly contribution to uh, Always Free to Air pod, go to patreon.com slash priceoffootball. If you have a question you'd like answered on the show, email us at questions at priceoffootball.com. I'm off to tell Susie Dent that she's using the wrong book in Dictionary Corner on Countdown. Uh, I'm not watching that show again until they get a proper dictionary in that dictionary corner. And in the meantime, I shall hand you over to Mr. Kieran McGrath for his customary farewell. Well, once again, folks, thanks for all your feedback on the show. We we do appreciate it. We we do sort of take notice of it. Uh, If if you... (laughs) Not, not if it's from the Oxford English Dictionary, we don't. No, clearly not. Um, if, uh, if, nothing if sums up, Kieran, I'm sorry, nothing sums up this pod more than we do sort of take notice of the feedback. <laughs> <laughs> um, if, you, if, if you want to go down the Patreon route, that's cool. If, if you want to give us some good karma uh, and help the show, you can do that by going along to that, uh, that, uh, that big <laughs> Apple icon on, on your app store or or Google Store, or whatever, whichever way you listen to us, um, give us a review. Uh, if you can give us five stars, it helps us in the charts. And uh, I think we, we go for a, for, a, for a show, which is, to put it mildly, niche. Uh, we do okay for ourselves. Um, but uh, it, it doesn't matter what you write. You, you could say you would rather the, the show was presented by Taylor Swift and Scooby-Doo. Wouldn't bother myself or Kevin. Um, I, I, I'd listen to that. Um, whilst I'm doing my uh, corporation tax losses dances. You know, it's a terrible thing to admit, Kieran, but I'm at an age where I'd rather meet Scooby-Doo than Taylor Swift. <laughs> I, I, think I'd probably, I think I'd probably have a more fruitful conversation with Scooby. I'd love to meet Scooby-Doo. It'd be great to meet I, Scooby-Doo, wouldn't it? I, I, I did the Brighton Marathon in 2015, oh. and I was flagging after 22 miles, and I was overtaken by a guy dressed as Scooby-Doo, <laughs> which, 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 which was possibly, <laughs> yeah, as, as a runner, which was about as <laughs> the biggest insult. I, I thought, Jesus Christ, I, I know I've hit the wall. I'm, I'm hallucinating now. I've just been overtaken by Scooby-Doo. Fucking hell. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I just love that image of Scooby-Doo's little furry bottom receding into the distance <laughs> with the Baroness and Finley waiting for you at the, the, the I just I also just love the idea of the, the first aid people wrapping Scooby Doo in foil and giving him some snacks. <laughs> well we know what type of snacks. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> hey, bye everybody. Bye. <laughs>